I love the fact that our customer are loving every single bite of our food. They love the concept. They love how chill we are about everything. It's just simple food done with love. Simple as that, really. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Ask most Italians, and many will say there are only two types of pizza, the light and fluffy Neapolitan and thin, crispy Roman. Of course, there is everything in between and around this, but what if you could create a pizza dough somewhere between the Neapolitan and Roman? Marcello Sigalina is the head chef of Jetty Bar and Eats and Pretty Good Pizza in WA. Marcello, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Doc? Good. You're doing lots of things at the moment, but more recently delved into the world of pizza with Pretty Good Pizza over in WA. Um, tell us a bit about that. Well, uh, initially we wanted to do a simple pizza New York style and when Miles started talking to me about this, I just went, um, I, I became really excited about the whole lot and I developed a recipe that is something in between a Neapolitan pizza and a Roman pizza. Wow. So we are using the techniques of the Neapolitan pizza when it comes to the dough making, but then on the actual recipe, it's a an hybrid in between the Roman and the Neapolitan one. Well, tell us a bit more about this process and, and what you've landed on and how it eats. So the process is actually quite simple. It's just a blend of flours, which is... Um, a part of wholemeal and a part of um, double zero. And that is high hydration. We do a direct process, but at the same time, we let it proof for over 48 hours when possible. Most of the time is something in between 24 and 48 hours. And the final result, once we cook it at a high temperature in the oven, it's a beautiful, crusty, um, pizza but it's not heavy it's really easy to digest and that's all because of the amount of water that we put in the actual dough and there is a part of honey as well in the in the in the water which it makes it um even better when it comes to proofing because you know um the yeast kind of feeds off the honey and it becomes extremely, extremely uh, soft to handle. And when we cook it, it becomes crusty and delicious. <laughs> what does this mean for what you do at Pretty Good Pizza? And what, what's the response been like? Well, people are loving it. And I am extremely proud of what we achieved. And the guys down there are doing a great job. Um, people are loving the the, the actual crust are loving the flavors that we choose and the whole concept is just absolutely spot on. I am a big music lover as well and the concept of the shop was also um, hip-hop from the 90s. So when we were doing the menu, we decided to call each pizza with a um, old-school hip-hop song. So, you know, we got the Can I Kick It or... Um, 
what is it? <laughs> now I'm kind of forgetting <laughs> the name, but um, yeah, we got the he's it does it, the can I kick it, the uh, drop it like it's hot, and you know, each pizza has pretty bold flavors and delicious ingredients, and our customers are just loving it. You've got a you've had a pretty amazing chefing career, which we'll get into and and explore what you're doing at at Jetty Bar. But uh, have you have you had a sort of rich baking dough sort of pizza experience through your career? Um, yes, sort of. So when I was eighteen years old, just fresh off the school. Um, I kind of decided to take a little break from the actual kitchens and I spent just a bit over a year in a a traditional bakery in the area where I grew up, uh, which was an extremely intense job, Um, six days a week, about 12 hours a day, which it wasn't actually during the day, it was during the night. So starting time was always around 10.30 p.m., finishing around when I was lucky, maybe 2 p.m. the day after. Um, but the the love and the passion that was um, shared in between all the boys inside and the girls as well inside the shop and the owner was, was incredible. He taught me so many things. We were making something like 50, 60 different type of breads every day and pastries. And it was just extremely heavy but that the passion and the love that it was all between us was was incredible and from that moment on I just I just fell in love with with the bread and you know being an Italian it's kind of difficult staying away from gluten and carbs and this kind of stuff and you know day after day I just tried to keep the love and the passion for bread going and yeah mostly recently um, since I moved to Australia, I kind of fell in love with pizzas, which is quite funny because I never really got into it when I was in Europe. Um, and then, yeah, especially through the COVID period when I was in a lockdown with my wife, I've started playing around a lot um, on pizza doughs in my little uh, kitchen oven. And then that led to me becoming absolutely obsessed with uh, pizza. And I bought a professional oven and Whenever I have a chance, I just I just play around in my garden and I try to make the best pizza that I can and, you know, kind of please the wife and the family that comes along and all the friends. So, yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, doing, uh, learning the craft of baking in your hometown. Well, take us back to Italy and where you grew up. Where, where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play in your family? So... I grew up in Medolla, which is a really small town about 30 minutes from Modena and 30 minutes from Bologna. Um, it's a really, um, how can I say, countryside kind of town. Only 5,000 people live in the actual town and you have a 10-15 minutes drive to the next town, which probably has another 7,000 people living in it. So it's a really small area. Um, everyone is involved with farming or, you know, producing, um, products or ingredients that will be sent all over Italy or Europe, really. And, um, my family, 
Um, from my mother's side, they are farmers and winemakers. So from the really early stages of my life, I always been, you know, around uh, wine and pear orchards and cornfields and running behind chickens and rabbits and all of this kind of stuff. And um, from my father's side, um, my the, the family, they were also involved in farming. In fact, um, we also used to produce a small amount of wine that was only for the family. Um, and we used to have, actually, we still have um, chicken, rabbits, goats, um, pigs, um, several birds. Um, and what else? Yeah, a little bit of whatever animal my grandmother could actually <clears throat> get into her little um, not so little cage, she, she would get it and then raise it, make it a puppy and then start try to make more puppies. And, you know, at the end, we're probably going to share it on a table. But yeah, that's, that's how we grew up. And it was, it was incredible because, you know, as, as an Italian, um, we always take the opportunity to sit down on a table um, with as many members of the family anytime we can. And, I, I grew up with that, so it's it's something that um, not everyone um, can experience. And I think since the early stages of my life, unconsciously, I was kind of brought into the hospitality world. So it's just something really precious, I believe. Are there any um, dishes or feasts from that period of time that you remember that you can share with us? Oh, 100%. Um, there is something that I will never forget and I kind of want to replicate as soon as possible, which is um, a kind of ragu. I would say it is something similar to a Bolognese ragu. However, it is made out of the heart of the pig. And it's something that we could eat only once a year because through the Festive, festive season around the Christmas period in Italy, um, old school families has the tradition of uh, butchering a pig, probably more than a pig, and then making cured meats and, you know, whatever you can actually get out of the pig, you would use it. And my family keeps going with this tradition. And back in the days when I was a little kid, um, we used to butch probably three to five pigs every winter. And we used to make prosciutto, salamis, and anything that you can think of out of, of a pig. And my grandmother was taking the offals, the, the heart, and whatever you can think of that you can't make an actual salami out of it. And she was bringing it into the kitchen, and she was making the most delicious things um, that I could ever think of. And one of the things is this heart ragu, which is yet so simple but so flavorful and you know you don't get the actual um iron flavor out of it if you if, if we want to be so technical you know it's just absolutely delicious and i would never forget the flavor of that and i i can't wait to have the opportunity to actually making it and put it on a menu one of these days tell us about the start of your career as a chef um so this is actually quite funny because I I was expecting to become sort of a farmer at some point because I kind of love the 
the feeling of you know being in the field and being in touch with nature all day along so when i was 13 years old i started helping my grandfather in the pear orchard um and it turned out to be an extremely heavy job and i i was young and i wanted to have fun and i thought no nah, that's not for me i ended up in going to a restaurant in my town um as a waiter which didn't end up well <laughs> i got fired after uh, probably 10 days um but um, funny enough, the sister of the owner of this restaurant also used to own a different restaurant in the same town. And they gave me the opportunity to go there uh, for a trial in the kitchen. And as soon as I got into the kitchen, I was amazed by the overall thing. I just, it just was impressive. As I remember as soon as I walked in, um, the, fa- uh, the husband of the owner was working on a butcher block and he was breaking down a pig. And on the other side, the head chef was just cooking massive pots of sauces and breaking down fishes. And on the other side, there was another guy breaking, not breaking up, but cleaning tons of vegetables. And they just throw me in. And from day one, they were like, all right, Marcello, now it's your time to clean the squid. And I started with cleaning the squid and the day after was seabus and the day after was clams and mussels and slowly, slowly, day after day, I started taking charge of a little sort of like fish section in that restaurant and the passion grew a lot and I decided to enroll for a cooking school um, about an hour drive from where I lived. And it was a kind of a a niche school uh, at that time because there was only a few of uh, cooking school all around Europe where you could actually leave into the school. You needed to do a test to get into it. Um, So there was only 250 guys and girls that could actually um, enroll into the school on a three-year period. And what they were doing in this school is literally teaching you from A to Z every single thing that is hospital. So the first two years, you study a little bit of everything from front of house, back of house, and um, whatever is involved in working in a hotel or a bakery or you know anything that you can really think of. And then the third year, it's your choice what you want to really specialize in. And I chose... Um, the kitchen um, and from that moment on they literally teach you anything from breaking down whole animals and cooking fish really old and technical um, recipes and they teach you how to work in actual restaurant because the the whole institute um, have to feed everyone so, you know, you wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning, you are in the kitchen at 7 a.m., you cook breakfast for 200 people, and then straight after the breakfast, you start preparing for lunch and you, and so on. You know, you prepare lunch and then you have a little break in the afternoon, you prepare dinner, you clean down the kitchen, and then you go back to sleep. And then it keeps going on for a whole year. So basically, after you study and 
cook for a whole year for about 250 people every day, once you get out of the school, you're ready to get into the kitchen and, you know, rock and roll. And it was, it was just, it was fantastic. I can't, I can't describe how amazing it was that period of time. Um, I pushed to the absolute limit when, when I was not uh, studying, I was working um, on the weekend in the restaurant where I first started my apprenticeship. And um, every year I was going on a stage in whatever restaurant the school was sending me. And um, I was um, lucky enough that they sent me to a two Michelin star on my last year with uh, the chef uh, Filippo Chiappini. Um, and it was a restaurant in Piacenza and incredible techniques, <laughs> so much pressure on me. I, w I believe I was probably uh, 17 years old never been that far away from home, um, never been working in a, such a, a technical and, you know, strict kitchen. But every day waking up extremely exhausted, but walking into the kitchen and touching products or ingredients that I didn't even know how to pronounce, it was, it was something incredible. And, you know, it just, that's how it all started. Um, yeah, so after the school, I was not sure what to do. And I asked the school if I could actually repeat the third year, but get specialized in uh, pastry. Um, and that's where I realized, okay, wait a sec, I'm kind of addicted to what's, <laughs> to what's going on in here. Um, and I did pastry, and then it turned out to be very um, beautiful, but technical at the same time. And I kind of like the, the action, you know, when, when you are a pastry chef, you make amazing dishes, but at the same time, you have to uh, be extremely precise. And I was a little bit rough. I was young. I, I love, you know, I love the big flames in the kitchen and, you know, joking around and being not as composed as you're supposed to. Um, so, yeah, after the pastry um, experience, I qualified and that's where I decided to go and work in a bakery just to learn something more. After the bakery, is there any sort of people or moments that really helped shape uh, your career during your time in Italy? Um, well, one of my mentor was probably Claudio, which was the husband of the owner of the restaurant where I started my apprenticeship. Um, he really, um, he, he really shaped the way that I approached anything into the kitchen. Um, he made me understand the respect that you have to give to a animal when you are butchering it or the importance of treating, um, a fish or anything that comes from the water in the right way. He, he, was, he used to be a hunter and he really understood um, how important was be, the fact of being local and sustainable and not wasting and trying to use every single um, part of anything, even when he used to come down to vegetables. So he definitely 
shared me um, a lot. Um, but yeah, he was he was probably the most uh, influential people person. Sorry, um, uh, when I used to be in Italy, and the chef as well, Capini, in the two Michelin star restaurant, he really made me feel that I was doing the right thing. Um, I was really young and I was always really afraid of doing the wrong things. And, you know, when, when you're still that young, you don't really know how to move around and you make a lot of mistakes. Sometimes you feel like giving up or you feel like this is not the right thing, but the chef Capini really saw something in me and every day was giving me an opportunity to learn something or you know do something extra in the kitchen so yeah how did you end up in australia well i after the bakery i was burnt out um i was working for already five six years no stop every day not enjoying the teenager life and going out with my mates and um, I decided to take a break and I went to work in a factory for probably just over two years. Um, um, something completely different than hospitality, um, but I just needed a break. I needed to live my life and see what all my mates were doing, but um, I did not enjoy working in the factory. Um, I decided to move to London and when I was in London, um, I spent about three and a half years in there working like a donkey. And again, loving every single minute of it. Um, but then as well, London became too much because I was constantly pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, I took a break, six month break, um, went back to Italy, um, knowing that the next thing would have been the big change. And Australia was kind of in my head. I didn't know where to go. I was like, should I go Melbourne? Should I go Sydney? Should I go Adelaide, Perth? What should I do? And I started researching a little bit. Melbourne and Sydney were really uh, similar to London. And Perth at that time was kind of chilled. <laughs> if I can say, um, beautiful beaches, um, you know, beautiful weather all the time. And there were only a few restaurants that they were really make an impact in, in the whole state. Um, and I thought, all right, let's, let's give it a go. Let's, let's go to Perth. Um, let's, let's push, <laughs> let's do it again. And, you know, and at that time I really wanted to, um, work in fine dining. I really wanted to be someone at some point, and I thought Perth could have been a great stage. So that's that's why I actually came here. Where did you land, and what were the first couple of years like for you there? Well, um, when I first arrived, I worked um, in few several places as a casual. Um, I was looking for the right restaurant and the right opportunity. And obviously coming from a different country, I needed a place that 
could lead to a uh, sponsorship. Um, so I had my eye on Bistro Giam here in Perth. I just love, since, since I was young, I just love the concept of French Bistro. I love French cuisine. I, I've been playing around it with so long. I just I just wanted to cook French. I wanted to work for Guillaume and I finally had the opportunity to um, land a casual shift um, at Bistro Guillaume on, on a really busy weekend. And I went there with the right mindset. I, I just tried to do my best. Um, and at that time, the head chef, uh, Dave Whiting, uh, gave me the opportunity to stick around a little bit longer as a casual. And then um, Dave moved to Sydney and um, moved, back, moved back to Sydney. And Robert Murphy, which is the current head chef as well, um, took the lead of the kitchen. And he asked me if I wanted to stick around as a senior CDP. Um, and with the opportunity of a sponsorship and I was absolutely, I didn't even think about it. I said, absolutely. Yes. Like immediately. Yes. I, I, I want to do this. I, I love it. It was, it was really, really heavy. Um, I was not as good as I thought. Um, but it shaped me in a way that made me what I am today. So yeah extremely grateful in how it went and chef Guillaume um, was coming down as often as he could um, extremely strict chef really really talented I was so afraid of working with him the first few times um, but the opportunity to work with a, such a chef and all the other chefs that he was inviting in the kitchen and the events that we did, the food that we were making, it was just, it was absolutely unreal for me. I was, it was something that I was so proud of it. And just wearing the uniform with the Guillaume logo on it is just something that I will never forget. And I will always, you know, keep with me as probably one of the best moments of my life. How different was the kitchens in Australia compared to London and the Michelin star restaurants that you'd been used to? Well, the kitchen in at Guillaume was very different to the one that I was in London, um, uh, but still really similar to the one I was in Italy, in the Michelin star, um, which that's probably what really uh, caught me because as soon as I walked in, um, the kitchen was designed in a very similar way. Um, the the pressure was actually very similar as well. The stress level was um, exactly the same. And the passion that everyone was putting into anything that they were doing was exactly the same. And I I was thinking that every single day that, you know, there is nothing better than uh, work, working in a kitchen that reminds you of your early days where you really realize that, okay, the kitchen is, is my life. And it was, yeah, it was was really good. I, I just love it. But definitely 100% different than what I was doing in London. 
how did the gig at Jetty Bar come about? Um, so after a f- few years, about three and a half years at Guillaume, I wanted to take a break from um, the casual fine dining sort of scene. And I worked at Crown at Epicurean, this massive buffet uh, restaurant, purely because I wanted to learn uh, massive operations and working with a massive team, lunch, breakfast, dinner, seven days a week and making, you know, a lot. Just I just wanted to understand what is involved in running such a massive kitchen. And it went on for over a year. After that, um, just before COVID hit, I had an opportunity to open um, a Trattoria uh, concept with with another employer, which didn't end up well as the employer was extremely shady. And I took myself off the picture as soon as I could. And I took a break from hospital. I was a little bit lost. I didn't know what I could do next. Um, I wanted to build a family. Um, I didn't want to be so taken from work and, you know, not giving to my wife. And I just wanted to do a little step back and understand what should I do in my future. So I applied for something like 23 different jobs. Um, And one of them was with Dark Horse Hospitality Group, um, which led to an interview um, with Miles Hall, which is the owner of Jetty Baranitz and director of the whole group. And he started talking to me about the concept of Jetty Baranitz, um, the location, uh, the hitos. And as soon he started talking about it, as soon as I saw the location, I was captured again. <laughs> I just realized that maybe it was not time yet to, you know, hang my chef jacket and chilled. I thought this could have been a great opportunity for myself to show my love and passion for food without going to the extreme limit and uh, put too much pressure on my shoulders and put too much pressure on my wife. Um, So, yeah, Miles gave me the opportunity to cook great food um, and have beautiful kitchen, a beautiful restaurant, a great view. And yeah, as soon I was, I was really taken. He, that jet, jetty stole my heart immediately. As soon I, I heard, I heard the whole, the whole thing. Tell us a bit about your food and the sort of things that you're cooking. Do you, do you have a dish or two that kind of exemplifies um, where you're at with your cooking? Yeah. So uh, Jetty, it's inspired to the Mediterranean. So what we do is anything that you can think of from the north of Portugal going down to uh, Greece and the north of Africa, whatever 
goes on in all of that massive area, south of Italy, south of France, Spain, anything that goes on on those area there, I take from it and I play around a lot. And the concept is obviously delicious. There is, it's a no-brainer. Whatever you really do with it, as long as you have great products, you're going to end up with a great dish. Um, but there are a couple of dishes that really um, made me proud of what I was doing. Um, especially one was a squid dish with a andouille butter and tarragon. Um, extremely simple. And the squid itself was just a beautiful product. Uh, we didn't really do anything to it other than scoring it, cooking it to perfection. And long story short, what I did is just a andouille butter. So melting down butter and andouille together, mix them until they combine perfectly and put it on a really hot uh, frying pan. Once the butter start melting and start kind of um, searing and the flavors of the andouille come, come out, um, we just put the squid in it, quickly cook it until it stay like nice and tender. And then obviously it would be coated in this delicious, spicy, super fatty butter and just garnish it with fresh and fragrant tarragon. The whole dish is extremely simple, but each bite is an explosion of flavors and the tarragon itself just cuts through every single bite and it's just so pleaseful. Um, that would probably be one of the highlights since day one. And another dish that I'm really proud of, um, it was our first kebab because I forgot to mention that we have a kebab machine <laughs> in the kitchen, um, which is another one of those things that really... Um, took me at the beginning I was like okay I never I never had a kebab uh, in the kitchen I never I never worked in a kebab shop um, and what we wanted to do it was definitely not the kebab that you hit at 3am after you get out of the club um, so what I did I took some really good chicken and I made a Spanish inspired kebab with strong notes of orange and uh, smoked paprika from Spain and another dozen <laughs> spices in it marinated for 24 hours and the result was super tender uh, chicken kebab with really really strong orange notes and probably one of the best things that I ever done I don't know how I pulled it off it was just you know, one of those moments where you are in the back kitchen just playing around with spices and ingredients and all of a sudden you realize you just made something out of this world and that's probably something that I never thought I would have done. I never thought I would have been proud of a kebab. <laughs> um, but, you know, that life gives you a lot of surprises and definitely the kebab was one of those and I'm, I'm really, really happy. So, yeah. You mentioned uh, burning out and the pressures of working in hospitality and Jetty Bar was that moment where you kind of realized you wanted to spend more time with your wife and create a family and get more balance. Have you, have you achieved that balance and how different is life now compared to those stressful days? 
Well, is definitely we turned into a brand new page, if I can say. Mm. Um, Miles and the group itself really focus on a good work-life balance. And that is one of the key points for me in working with them because they give me the opportunity to play around a lot and at the same time to to stay with my family. So since um, we opened Jetty, and this is actually quite funny, um, my wife... Um, got pregnant. Literally a few days after we opened, she told me that she was pregnant. And um, that made me understand that, yes, I can work hard and I can achieve, but at the same time, I must uh, pay attention to my surrounding and give extra attention to my family. So since day one, I kind of draw a line between uh working hard all day every day and kind of you know clock in do your job work really hard put all the passion that you have clock out go home and you know spend some really good time with my wife with my daughter and enjoy every single second of it so that definitely has changed a lot through the years. I don't work anymore 70, 80 hours a week. I am not burnt out every single day. I don't whinge about tired I am. I don't feel that I'm doing the wrong thing. It's just really rewarding knowing that I'm doing what I love with the support of my wife and my daughter and, you know, just enjoying life because that's that's all it is it's pure cooking loving what you do going home loving the time with your family and just really spend great time well you're doing amazing things over there in wa what is it that you love about what you do well i absolutely love the fact that we have a strong focus on sustainability um we do our best every day to source only sustainable um, sustainable um, ingredients, um, especially when it comes down to seafood. Our jetty is focusing on seafood a lot. So 90% of the menu is actually seafood and whatever we put on the menu, it's line caught or sustainably sourced and or, or local. Um, as far as I can remember, we pretty much have nothing on the menu that comes from over overseas or anywhere really. And I absolutely love it. And at the same time, I love the fact that our customer are loving every single bite of our food. They love the concept. They love how chill we are about everything. It's just simple food done with love. And, you know, simple as that, really. Just that's really what I really love and like. Well, my child, it's an absolute honor to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a bit of your story. Um, Good luck over there in the West and please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you very much. It was an absolute honor for me as well. Uh, Take care. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. 
I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.